0: Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading.
1: Okay, here we go. Oh, another great book. The book of James. Verse 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just stop right there. We have to focus on the very first word, James. Who is James? Well, some people would naturally presume that this is Peter, James, and John, uh, the second of the primary three disciples that Jesus had, the the three that he was closest to. But, but it's not. James, the brother of John, was killed in Acts chapter 12, you'll remember, by Herod. But this is actually James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. We say half-brother because James and uh, his siblings, other than Jesus, was born, as far as we can tell, from Joseph and Mary. See, and so Jesus, however, was born from Mary and the Holy Spirit, who implanted uh, the Son of God inside of her womb. And so that's why we'll say a half-brother— But it's the brother, biologically connected to Jesus. This is one of the brothers that, in the 13th chapter of Matthew, you remember, that thought that Jesus was a lunatic, that thought that he was crazy. And so something happened between, the. it seems, the resurrection and the ascension. Because in the book of Acts, you'll remember, That in chapter 1, it said that the 120 were in the upper room. Jesus told them, go wait in Jerusalem. Well, guess who was there? (laughs) Jesus' mother and also his brothers and sisters were there with them in the room. What does that mean? Oh, they had become discipled. They had become convinced. James is so convinced that this is the same James that became the head, we would call him, the senior pastor of the Jerusalem church. Now, some people think, well, Peter was. Well, Peter was certainly the most prominent apostle, even with with Jesus. But after Jesus died, the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, more is written about Peter than any other character. He's the primary character. And then from 13 on, through the rest of the book of Acts, Paul's the primary character. But James becomes the one, we can tell in Acts chapter 15, James really becomes the one that is sort of the head shepherd, the head leader of the church at Jerusalem. This is Jesus' brother. Oh, let me tell you, uh, I guess you can imagine when your brother's dead for three days and then he's raised from the dead and he can appear and disappear and appear and disappear. I guess you become pretty convinced yourself. And they realized, oh my goodness, everything he was saying is true. So now here One of the brothers of Jesus, and uh, it appears to be the eldest brother, of course, after Jesus. But he's writing now scripture. He is so in tune with the Holy Spirit. He's leading the Jerusalem church, the apostles and elders and such there. And he's actually used to write scripture. What a validating thing it is for James, Jesus' own brother, to be commenting about serving him and uh, speaking of him in such fond ways. So anyway, having laid that outline, I should also mention that he's writing beyond Jerusalem. He's writing uh, to really Jewish believers. Jewish, yes, but believers in Yeshua, Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah. So we call them Jewish believers. But out in the uh, outside world, outside of Jerusalem, he's writing to those who are serving the Lord Jesus and such. And so, all right, let's, let's jump into this, right? Listen to this. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his brother. But he calls him the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that really does something inside of me that... They grew up in the same house. They were so close to each other. <laughs> no telling what kind of scuffles or things that happened between them. But boy, this James has come to recognize he is the son of the living God. And to the point that he says, James, a bondservant. I am a bondservant. A bondservant is, is one who made himself a lifetime servant. A, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. And then he says, to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad. So notice he's talking to Jewish people. Greetings. Verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So back in these days, the Jewish people were, uh, they were primarily, predominantly impoverished, and under persecution from other peoples, including Rome, the Romans, and taxation and such. And so he's saying, though, my brethren, count it all joy. He's bringing courage to them. He's bringing confidence to them, letting them know that this life is short-lived. We're going to have an eternity after this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, endurance, that could also be translated. It produces endurance. It produces patience. In other words, God is using these trials that you're going through to strengthen you. Certainly like uh, we use weights you know, as resistance, and it produces muscles. James said this is producing spiritual muscles inside of you so that you're stronger to do the right things. Verse 4. But let patience have its perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, if we're not patient, oh, we're praying for things, we're believing God for things, and if we're not patient, then we'll give up too soon. Do you remember Galatians 6, 9? Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. See, We have to be patient like a farmer planting a seed, watering it. You have to wait and it's going to be weeks, maybe even months before the harvest fully comes. And so he's saying, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Verse five, I quote verse five, maybe as much as any verse in the Bible because I'm in so many meetings and we want to invoke the wisdom of God. Here's what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If anyone lacks wisdom, don't you love this? We have a God who not only knows everything, but he wants to disclose his knowledge. He wants to communicate with us. And this is a promise in the Bible. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. He gives plenty of wisdom. And without reproach, he doesn't make you feel bad because you asked. Without reproach, and it will be given. Not might, not sometimes, not most of the time. No, he said it will be given. See, so this is a promise. And I love to quote this promise at the beginning of meetings and stand on it and say, Lord, as we go into this meeting, speak to us. Give us your wisdom through the multitude of counselors. are here in Jesus' name, and he does. Praise God, and he does. Okay, but it goes on to say, sometimes I quote this too, verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This right here is one of the best teachings in the Bible on faith and why many prayers are not answered and that is that we doubt we're divided we're double minded what does double minded mean you have two ways of thinking about something one way says oh yeah i believe god's promise is true we ask for wisdom he said he would give it so therefore we believe it it's a done deal god is giving us the wisdom <laughs> that's faith the other side says yeah but i didn't hear uh I didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't see an angel. I mean, how do I know we have the wisdom? I mean, yeah, this seems like it's the best thing to do as we prayed. We discussed it. It seems like the right thing to do. But how do we know for sure? But let him ask in faith with no doubting, asking for wisdom. But then he goes on to say this applies to everything. He said, because if, if you doubt, you're like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, by uh, what people say. Influenced by circumstances and such, and oh, I thought we had the wisdom, but look, something changed, so now we may not have the wisdom. And before you know it, you have two minds. I I believe God has given us the wisdom. I'm not sure He's given us the wisdom. Maybe we don't have the wisdom, maybe we just need to wait. See, and so you have two different minds. And notice what he said. He said, a person with two minds, two ways of thinking about something, they're doubting in their heart. That's what doubt is. You have a division. You have a conflict inside. He said, those people are unstable in all their ways because they're not clear on what God is saying to them. And he said, let not that man, verse 7, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Oh, James just opened it up and said, this is not just about wisdom. When you have this double-mindedness inside, I believe that by his stripes I'm healed. Well, I don't know if God wants to heal me. I don't know if God's going to heal me. See, he said, let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. Well, this is perfectly congruent with the rest of the teachings of the Bible. For example, when Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. If he doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes. See, and so James is saying the same thing. This is the brother of Jesus saying, look, this is how it works. You have to be convinced inside by faith. God is faithful to his word. No, God does not lie. He said that he would give us wisdom. Therefore, it's a done deal. Our responsibility is to sincerely ask... His responsibility is to make sure that we have the wisdom. And this has helped me so long in ministry and in my life, and I'll just head toward and have to make a decision, and I'll just make it in faith that, hey, if God needed to tell me something different, he would have told me because I sincerely asked him. Well, oh, I'd love to just stay on that, but I think you get the power of that truth. Okay, here we go. Verse 9 Uh let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. In other words, if somebody is, is lowly, somebody is uh, an underdog, a downcast person, somebody that evidently doesn't have uh, a lot of opportunity and such, and they they got promoted, they had a great opportunity come, let them glory, let them rejoice, let them get excited. He said, but the rich, the person that has tremendous opportunity and such. He said that person should be glorying in their humiliation. In other words, they should they should not be glorying. hey look, I won again. Look, I have more opportunity. Look, no, it, it, it's unbecoming. It's unbecoming. No, they should they should downplay it, in other words, because why? Because they have such a platform from which to do things better than other people. So he said, the rich should not glory in their exaltation, uh, but let the poor glory. Oh, yeah, because it's a big deal. They had a big breakthrough and everybody should get excited with them. But let the rich glory in his humiliation. In other words, uh, even when they do something that's dumb and embarrassing and such, that they should admit it and say, hey, man, I did something really dumb. In fact, it's very becoming for somebody who is uh, well-known or well-esteemed or whatever to tell of their own faults and to expose their weaknesses and such in in an honest way. And why is that? Because everybody can see you have an advantage over so many people. Show your human side. Show that you don't have it all together, and uh, you relate to the rest of us. And so James is just pointing this out. This is actually very widely known. And so notice this. It says in verse 10, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. In other words, as rich as he is, he'll be gone just like the rest of us. He has no advantage in life uh, over anybody else verse 11 for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass its flower fails and the in its beautiful appearance perishes so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the lord has promised to those who love him let me just read it again blessed is the man who endures temptation? In other words, you don't give in to it. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James is clearly implying here that you cannot just give in to sin, and and continue to sin as a believer and expect to receive the crown of life. In other words, eternal life. No, you can't. We need to be resisting temptation successfully. Verse thirteen. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt any one but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Somebody would say, "Well, what about with Job? No, go read the first few chapters of the book of Job. You'll find out that it was Satan that was uh, attacking Job and such. And yes, God did not stop Satan from doing it because God was showing the devil very clearly that Job would not turn on God, that he would not curse God if God removed the hedge and if God didn't protect him. But notice, even in the case of Job, that was the devil clearly doing it and not the Lord. God is not the destroyer, and God is not tempting us with evil, but when we give place to our own desires in our flesh and we just put ourselves out there a little more and a little more, we put ourselves in a place of temptation. And we shouldn't say, yeah, God is setting me up for temptation. No, no, God doesn't want to do that. And Jesus said, pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. See, so the Lord Jesus is saying what Father God is saying. And so God does not want, to, want us to be tempted with evil but we put ourselves in a position. Jesus said, cut the hand off, pluck the eye out. That means remove temptation from yourself so that you're not even in a place of temptation any more than is uh, already evident and uh, available in this world. So verse 15, then... When desire has come, well, let me read 14. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So notice, sin brings forth death. Boy, James is James is strong. Let me tell you, he's one of the strongest authors in the New Testament. This is the brother of Jesus. He's playing no games. He gets no fringe benefit. Or free ride, because he's the brother of the Lord. And he's not giving anybody else a free ride either. He's saying, look, (laughs) sin, when it's full grown, if you let it go, it'll bring forth death. So notice this, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my brethren every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning he said don't be deceived it's god bringing the good stuff it's the it's the enemy bringing the bad stuff and you allowing your flesh you putting yourself out there that is invoking temptation that should not be there and you succumbing to temptation he said don't be deceived it's not God playing both sides. Well, I'm going to tempt you over here and then I'm going to punish you over on this side. He said, no way. Every good gift, and every perfect gift comes from God. And then he says, of whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Doesn't even look like God's ever going to change because he will not. He said, I am the Lord. I change not. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In other words, God wants us to be right with him. He wants us to be in fellowship with him. He's not trying to tempt us away. He's trying to enfranchise us and bring us close to himself. Verse 19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is so powerful. Uh, Just a quick little nugget of wisdom. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. And slow to wrath. If we can do those three things, oh, we'll be way ahead of most people. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 20. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Lay it all aside. And receive with meekness the implanted word. The word of God. Receive with with meekness the implanted word which is able to save. Notice your souls. Now, your spirit's the part of you that gets born again uh, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. But your soul needs to also be saved by the renewing of the mind. And so he said the implanted word, implanting the word and keeping it down in there. Do you remember the parable of the sower? If it gets plucked out by the enemy, no, it won't grow and you will be unfruitful in your life. But if you can implant the word of God down inside, like what we're doing every day here, and other things, study and teachings from the word, if you can implant the word of God down inside and keep it down in there, he said, "It's it'll save your soul. It'll renew your mind. Praise God. This is what I tell you every day. It'll change your life. It will save your soul, soul, spirit, excuse me, your, your mind, your will, your emotions. See, all that that's inside of you other than your spirit. So he goes on to say, verse 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What a popular verse. But be doers. Don't just hear it. And this is also something that's brought up in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But when you look into the Word of God, it's like a, an interesting mirror. You can see two images. One, you see Christ because He is the Word of God. So the more you soak up the Word, the more you see His image. But what else happens is you're also seeing your image. And you're seeing how your image and His image are incongruent, that you are you don't measure up yet to his image. But, but 2 Corinthians 3 says, the more you look into this mirror, the more you become like the image of Christ. Isn't that powerful? And this says it this way, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's God's word, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, if you begin to live like the Bible says, this one will be blessed in what he does. Folks, that's you. I declare it in Jesus. Jesus name. Okay verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Hey if you have we're not talking about a religious spirit and such, we're talking about the true religion of the Bible. If anyone thinks he's religious but you're, you're not bridling your tongue, you're still being critical, argumentative and such. a cynical. Uh, he said, your religion is useless. You're deceiving yourself. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. He said, you want to know a true religion? He said, people that are visiting, the people that are hurting, orphans, widows, etc. He said, and keeping yourself unspotted from the world walking in purity and holiness before the Lord, he said, there's true religion. Boy, I tell you, that's a great chapter right there. Uh, and there's some good things James is going to bring up in the subsequent chapters. Thanks for being with me today. I look forward to chapter two. tomorrow.
0: Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com slash give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple-making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast here jerry shares with us at least weekly from god's word challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that god has for our lives you can find links to this podcast as well as jerry's youtube channel online at solidlives.com thank you again so much for joining us and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the new testament daily with jerry dearman